McNulty standing for anyone to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Pompey fans, and welcome to PO4 Cast episode 191. Well, it's six points since we last spoke, as Pompey continued their unbeaten spree. During the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you, Andy? Hello, Buns. Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. Slightly eventful few weeks since we last spoke on here, but getting through, thank you, my friend. How about yourself? I'm fine, mate. Just poor you. Out of surgery, arm taped up over there on the video just good to have you back on the podcast mate thanks mate yeah it's been uh after we made all those jokes about not getting eaten by any nasty spiders and stuff in uh in australia i was too busy avoiding all of those animals and forgot that concrete from a height is uh is quite bad for your shoulder and quite bad for your head so yeah thankfully well hopefully no long-term issues as far as i know i managed to give myself a lovely little concussion which i um, was hopefully worn off and I've got some nice metal in my shoulder and 12 months of rehab. So it's been, yeah, dreamy few weeks. Uh, not the most comfortable flight home, to be honest. So you, your new nickname is Iron Man, obviously, because you've got the, I mean, the iron the titan- in your shoulder. If we're being picky, it's titanium. But I mean, <laughs> either or. Oh, I like that. Let's go to the science thing there. Talk about science. He's not really a man of science. He's a man of words. It's Freddie Webb. How are you? I am not so bad, Hugh. Thank you. Yeah. Um, has not much going on in my life aside from the football to be honest uh, loved Tuesday and everything about it and uh, I'm glad to see Andy back on the pod as well after he's recovered from his horrible injuries that's nice nice that that's happened Fred. appreciate that my friend um, yeah I've got a nice what is it 10 to 12 months of, of rehab to do so excited so I'm expecting you lads to be carrying the beers at the brewery for me uh, on every week from now until the start of next season which I think seems fair and I don't know, everyone wants to hug Andy, so but you have to hold that off now until until he recovers, right? No sporadic hugging or celebrating by grabbing your arm a bit like happened at Tranmere away. Yeah, no. Nah, uh if anyone decides to celebrate by grabbing onto my right shoulder, they'll know about it fairly quickly. I think Will sorted um to be in the disabled section. I'm gonna try and do Peterborough at home as my first game back, because uh, I can't really do crowds at the moment. So yeah, Peterborough at home, disabled standing disabled seating one of them no idea where in the ground that is but i will give it a go um, but yeah no one grabbing me would be amazing um fred how have you been i've not spoken to you for a probably for well a couple of weeks i guess uh it's, it's just been work to be honest <laughs> that's literally what my life has been for like a fortnight and then the odd football match in between it are you missing it, being an undergraduate student yeah mate that was ages ago <laughs> i know but i mean you're you're in the real world now but you must be missing it if you're actually having to work ridiculous hours. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, oh, I miss it terribly. Miss it terribly. Might just fund myself a masters for no reason. <laughs> back to you. That's it. The Van Wilder of the podcast, Freddie Webb. Straight back, straight back to university. Get yourself a new degree. Start again, then go back on do yourself a PhD. By the time you're sort of, you know, in your thirties, you can come out and look for a new job. Sounds like a good plan to me. Andy must know all about people that do that. That's pretty much what I did age 28. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Don't recommend it in the slightest. Don't do it, Fred. All right, let's get into what we're doing today. So first of all, we're going to review the game against Leighton Orient. Following on from that, we're going to review the game that was on Sky. That's right, a win on Sky against Exeter. And then we put a question out to you guys. And we said, Tom Larry's now injured. For like around three months and should Pompey look to go and replace him in the transfer window and if not is there any other areas of the squad which we should be adding to before the conclusion of it in September and finally we spoke to Owen from the Robins report to give you the lowdown on everything you need to know on the weekend's game against Cheltenham right let's get going Leighton Orient boys I was sad I couldn't go didn't get my finger on the buzzer to it quick enough and Everyone was passionate and managed to get a ticket. So if you did get a ticket, it like a good laugh. Congratulations. Even though I had the points and all that malarkey. There we go. Let's get into the match a little bit. Sadie comes in and starts and Kamara also starts after a bright performance in the game before. A long throw starts the game when I was looking at it back, watching the extended highlights, which Freddie always gets very excited about, as we all know. They try and throw it into the box. It bubbles around. We don't quite clear it. I think Regan Paul gets to it, but the second ball sort of lands at Leighton Orient and it's sort of an early chance, an early sort of sniff that maybe they could create something in the game early on, Fred. Yeah, I mean, it It looked, they looked like a better side than the scoreline suggests to a certain extent. They've got, they had a strong midfield, which was mentioned on the pod last week and it clearly showed that Moncur and El Mazzuni are very handy, very handy. They could both control the ball very well, pass, and they've got, and they've got a good range of movement between them. But it just seems that they didn't have a lot at either end of the pitch, it seemed. And perhaps with a better striker or something, that half chance and a long throw could have turned into something. But glad for Pompey it didn't. And thankfully, the game was won in both boxes. I think it's fair. You say that they looked a solid outfit. I do think that it was one of those games where Pompey, especially in the second half, I wouldn't say really got out of what fourth gear. So I think it's tough to say how much of a, a, a strong outfit Leighton Orient really are when I don't think Pompey would push particularly in the second half, but I guess we'll get onto that. But um, yeah, huge on a jump on the first goal. Yeah, so I mean, just, just touching quickly on the fact that George Moncur had that shot at the edge of the box. I do quite like him, but again, it was all sort of long shots from Leighton Orient and we'll come on to that later on in the game. But all right, let's get into the first goal then. So. It comes from a set play. We wanted to score more goals from corners. It was one of those things, really. But this isn't really the traditional way of scoring from a corner, I suppose. Corner gets whipped in. Marlon Pax manages to find some sort of room in the box. And I don't know if he's deliberately placed it that perfectly into the corner. But it's just sort of come off his foot and, you know, fool the goalkeeper. It's gone into the back of the net. Who cares? But it's quite poor defending, isn't it, Andy, from from Leighton Orient? And the goalkeeper doesn't seem to know what he's doing a lot in this game either. No, exactly. Yeah, that's that's definitely a theme over the game. The keeper looking very, very low on confidence. But yeah, a ball in for the first touch to be a volley from sort of ankle height. 
you'd say that a defender has got to be getting something on that before it arrives to Marlon Pack at, what is he, near the penalty spot. Freddie called it a flick when it went in. I thought it was a bit of a shank. I don't know if it was something between the two. But yeah, the absolute perfect placement. I'm not really sure if the keeper is ever going to save it, but I think the way he went about making it look like he was going to try and save it didn't do him any favours, sort of running along the goal line. And I, it was a, it's a weird goal, actually. I It felt like it was going in in slow motion, kind of like, um, actually it's nothing like, but kind of like the Jamal Lowe chip at Wembley where time slowed down while it was in the air. I felt the same kind of thing here, where time sort of slowed down while it dribbled towards the far corner. And it's just a bit unorthodox, but we'll take it. We'll take it as a, an intentional flick into the far corner, to use Freddie's term. It's quite funny because Matt told me from the podcast that he we came in to play sort of like Sunday league football and he came to Lemon Sides playing goal, came in and they were all really impressed with him because the previous goalkeeper wouldn't dive. Uh, and he just sort of looked a bit like that with their goalkeeper. He just jogged along the line and didn't realise he could use his hands really, but... End of the day, you're probably right. You couldn't save it. And we'll move on. It's 1-0. Let's talk about the second goal. It's a bit more interesting because we can break it down a bit more. And Marlon Pack does what Freddie Webb likes most usually. Because instead of going for the looping long throw, he sort of drives it hard and low and goes for the 1-2. So he gets the ball back out for a cross. Now, that's smart because you can probably get a bit of a better quality chance from, from crossing it into the box. It's cleared. It comes out again. But Rafferty's there. He picks it up. And Rafferty does what Rafferty does at the moment which has puts exceptional balls into his best mate, Colby Bishop, who gets across the defender with a diving header back of the net. Freddie, what were we saying about this goal and how it was worked? It just seemed a bit smarter than how we were last season. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It took me... They changed it up. I think last season they probably would have persisted with the long throw, uh, rightly or wrongly, and kept on doing the same thing. But it's nice that Pack played that ball to Rafferty, and Rafferty is a great player. Uh, the crossing he put in this game was exceptional and got two assists for it. And yeah, Bishop did very well to get ahead of his centre-half partner, managed to, put, managed to bully him away and get the header on target. And keeper got a slight hand for, from memory, but 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 still... He got that a good hand to it. He got a good hand to he, it. I think he should have saved it, Fred, to be honest with you. I don't... It wasn't anywhere near the corner of the goal and I think he's kind of wrong-footed almost, but... I think, again, the keeper should do better with this. He sort of... He gets a strong left hand to it and palms it in kind of into the side netting, which I think makes it look a more clinical finish than it was. I think a lot of keepers in the division say that, if I'm honest. I'm not complaining at all. I liked it. It was 2-0. <laughs> and, and I was going wild when I, found, when I was listening to the radio commentary. Gavin White does fairly well in this game. He's got a bit of stick recently when we talk about the wingers going forwards and who we should play. And it's, it's a bit of a selection dilemma, as we said in the last podcast, with lots of options, etc. But he wins the ball back quite high up on the pitch in the press and makes a run into the channel. He then does does what he does best here and he sort of squares the ball. It, I think, I can't remember who it was, someone left it for, for Bishop and he, he gets his foot on, he strikes from the edge of the box and he goes just wide. Fred, what did you think of the press in this game? And Gavin White did a lot of sort of running in this game, didn't he? And ended up with a with an assist later on. I liked Gavin White's play in this game. He, he won the ball a number of times high, high up in um, Blade or in its own half, which is very good. The press in, for Pompey for a lot of the game was a bit strange. They had a very high press for the first goal, so it was 6.3 passes out per defensive action. And then the other, the rest of it, it hovered around between the 10 and the 12 mark. 
whereas if a proper high press is around eight as a reference. So for a lot of, for certain periods of the game, they pressed in specific situations. When they got right into the midfield, they let, let Norwich play a bit, but they put they were able to press properly when they were playing out from the back, and it caused them a lot of issues. And trying to stop the ball going to their midfield, which was the, their best part of their squad, was a very good idea. And White did it very well. And um, Bishop was unlucky with that chance. He struck it really well. Um, a couple of inches, a couple of inches past the post, so he wasn't far off. Yeah, and, and that sort of carries on a little bit here. Yeah, when the ball gets played into into Gavin White again, he sort of does does what I want a winger to do in this situation. He drives into the space and keeps going from there. He whips in a great ball, and Omar Beckles has got to be one of the worst players I've seen play at the back, um, <laughs> just generally. And what a finish, though. If only that was a striker's finish. He It was a great ball, to be fair. It's in that position where it's you know behind the defender. He wants to get a foot on it, so to stop you know going to one of the Pompey players, but... Instead, he, I don't know if he hits it with his wrong foot, whatever it is, he sort of volleys it into the back of the net. And then it looks very, very comfortable from here, doesn't it, Andy? Yeah, it's absolute techers. I think before we got to this point, we did have a couple of squeaky bum time moments, didn't we? I think, was it Poole made that really, really good block pretty much on the line that kept it at 1-0? It could very easily have been one all before the second goal went in. But yeah, it's a, a left-footed volley into the top corner from, what, 15, 16 yards out is an absolute tackers of a finish. And the keeper manages at this point to find his sort of diving salmon impression and doesn't get within about four feet of it. But I don't think we can put this one on the keeper because you're just, you're never saving that. It's an absolutely incredible finish, sort of a once in a season connection. So if you've done it at the right end, you're looking at goal of the month contender. But unfortunately for, uh, for Beckles, it wasn't, and I, I agree with you. Did not look comfortable all game, and uh, yeah, capped the performance quite nicely with that goal. Was he was he booked as well, or have I made that up? I feel like he had a pretty poor game. Yeah, he did. He got he got booked just before the end of the game. Yeah, I thought I remembered that. Just a bit of a shocker for him, really. Yeah, that I could see that own goal being played on like the first bit of a Danny Baker own goals and gaffs DVD constantly, if that was still a thing. But no, I don't think he could have struck it better. I think. Popovich for Crystal Palace against Portsmouth. That that own goal always sticks out in my mind. Um, the Beckles one still doesn't beat it, but yeah. yeah I was more nice. thinking sort of Alan, I was more thinking sort of Alan Partridge, like shit. Did you see that kind of thing for it? But you know, different horses, different courses, Fred. The game went on, as Andy said, we didn't really have to get out of second gear, did we? In this game, and it sort of just trumbled along a bit. Does Orion had a couple of chances. They had a shot from range from Amazuri. He just decided he's in a place where he could shoot. He hit it fairly well, but it went over the bar again. And then just the icing on the cake, really. Yengi gets pulled down in the box. It looked like a stonewall penalty. I do not have an idea why the referee took so long. Maybe he was just like daydreaming because he didn't seem to be like even making a decision up. He just sort of carried on. And then he stopped and was like, oh shit, is that a foul? I should probably give that one. I thought it was the assistant that gave it. Did I see? I, I could be wrong. Oh, is that what happened to the assistant? I, I, I thought the flagged. assistant gave him a shot in the ear or something from um, yeah, from, yeah from the linesman position. That's mm. what I thought had happened. No, because Beckles had his had his hands all over Yengi, and Yengi proved a very much a handful with him. And essentially, whenever Yengi got into space, he knew which centre half he was going after because Beckles was having a dreadful game, and Yengi pulled him pillar to post in a lot of situations and. Yeah, I don't know how the ref didn't gave it and had to rely on the assistant, but thank God they actually gave it in the first place. 
it's actually nice to see, to be honest, that uh, a linesman or assistant referee, as they're officially called, right, actually flags and puts his neck on the line, even for the most blatant of opportunities. Because sometimes people just don't bother, do they? They let the referee do it and play on. And then uh, again, Yangi comes up, hits the penalty. He's very cool at hitting these penalties, isn't he? The other one, he went the other way, blasted it high. This time he goes, he goes low, the other side into the corner. The keeper's never saving it. He, as I said, he doesn't like diving. He sort of falls to the floor the other way, just, just to make it look realistic. He's not even a goalkeeper, I don't think, at this stage. But again, 4-0 to Pompey. All-round good performance. And Fred, there was some encouraging stuff off the bench, wasn't there? You look at Robertson coming on. He looked lively. Youngie came on again, got the goal. And just goes to show this dilemma we are talking about, a selection going into the next game. It, it's a real balancing act, isn't it, for John Massinho? Oh, absolutely. And it's the thing that Bassini um, is going to have to get right throughout the season to try and figure out when certain players should be played against either specific opposition or ma- or managing their fitness. Because that was a big thing about Cassini Yenga. We've heard about a lot where Massinho came out in the press and wanted to manage his fitness, not start him too many times, ease him in. And he looks like the perfect option off the bench, at least, because, well, Bishop got off the mark and looked very good, very good in this game. But then Yenge came on and proved a handful. It's nice to have an option behind Bishop, which we arguably didn't have last season. And no, it's, it's the same in the midfield. I liked Robertson in this game. I had a, had a couple of touches. There was a roulette in there where he absolutely skinned somebody, which was brilliant and should be replayed everywhere, arguably on Guildhall Square. So yeah, he, Robertson looked like a class player and that showed more off more in the next game but no Massinho will have to manage his players really well and figure out you know utilise that squad depth properly because that's what sides that get promoted do I suppose and Andy Richie Willings thinks we're bang average apparently because we can defend our box and take our chances which obviously is uh, how you win football games but he's always one to, to shout out I think he got sent off in the in the last game he had I've just seen him on Twitter being, being red carded so um, yeah what are you saying about that? Excellent yeah I mean Bang average, except being good in the defensive area and clinical going forward. But other than that, it was a pretty, pretty standard Pompey performance. But no, like I said earlier, I don't think they were really pushed in this game. So you can say what he wants, but uh, I don't think we were really pushed anywhere near what the side are capable of, uh, especially second half. As soon as we went two goals up, I don't think I had any doubt whatsoever we were going to see the game out. So... I mean, good luck to him. Have a lovely season. See you again. Yeah, Richie Rollins came across as that sort of manager where if any side doesn't play a high possession-based football where the majority of it's in the midfield, then the opposition are just scum and they don't play football properly. But no, we Pompey took their chances, pressed high in the right scenarios, defended particularly well and got more chances in this game and took them. They Out of their 1.5 expected goals, they had four goals. So... Did very well out of it. I think it smacked late Orient's 0.91. But you could tell from just watching the game, you don't even need to look at the expected goals in this time, that Leighton Orient didn't really have a lot of chances. Um, for some of the so some of the periods they had in the midfield, they didn't do a lot with it. Let's move on. Exeter, live on Sky, the Sky Curse, coming off a 4-0 win. You think, wait a second, Pompey winning 4-0 away. We've been standing in the stands going, we're all travelling in numbers. Can we get a decent away game? Of course, it's the one we don't attend because you can't get a ticket for. But we then go in to see if we can sort of break a second duck and win live on Sky against Exeter. 
a very well managed team, I think, under Caldwell. Um, obviously, quite a young team, but you know, like to play a decent sort of football and have been pretty hard to break down so far in the season. So, just to start off, I suppose Morel plays his ball into Bishop, who has a shot on goal. He's sort of it's quite a tight angle, but it was what I thought was nice about this move is that Joe Morel in this game was sort of taking that role and just stepping up a little bit. Winning the ball back well. I thought him and Pat did excellent in this game together, both of them controlling the midfield pretty well. Steps up, lays it into Bishop. He takes the shot from the sort the, the narrow angle. Can't blame him. He's 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 feeling it at this moment in time. But Gavin White had made a run into the middle, but I think the pass was probably a little bit more difficult, wasn't it, Andy? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Colby Bishop's a number nine. He's gonna if there's ever a 50-50 decision in the split second, he's always gonna be the one going for goal rather than laying up a chance for someone else on the plate. So, yeah, no issue with that in the slightest, to be honest with you. Um, and as you say, Exeter, they're going to be one of the better organised sides we come across in the league, I think. They um, consistently sort of fire above what their weight would be on paper. And, yeah, in terms of this being a good three points, I mean, I, I'm fairly certain they're going to be around probably just above into the top half of the table towards the end of the season. So it's by no means a gimme of a game. So to get out with the three points, I think we should be very, very pleased about. Yeah, and Freddie, Robertson obviously started in this game after coming on and impressing in the last game. He he looked like he grabbed this opportunity. He had that one chance, didn't he, where he picked up the ball, drove through past a few players and, and hit a, a shot on goal. It was a good shot, good clean hit, got the angle right. A little bit comfortable for the keeper who manages to make the save, but... I think that shows maybe a bit more of what's to come if those some of those can fly in the net. It shows what's needed in this midfield. Um, that was what was missing, in, for example, in the Bristol Rovers game, where there can be a lot of control in this midfield with Pack and Morel, and they can interchange the passing properly. And if their movement off the ball is good, then they should be able to keep possession away from the opposition. But sometimes centre midfielder needs to have that little bit of drive about them and run into the space and scare some defenders. And I think Robertson did that incredibly well. Um, had other chances in this game as well. Um, was close, always looking for the right pass. I think there's an opportunity in the second half where he literally dribbled almost to the penalty area, then looked like he was going to shoot. So the defenders went up to him and it was a cool pass all the, all the way out to Scully, who unfortunately miscontrolled it and he went straight to the keeper. But that's the sort of chances that I want the Pompey's midfield to make because I know in a 4-3-3, you get a lot of your joy in your wide areas and that's fine if you want to build a team that's focusing on crossing. If it gets goals, then that's A-OK by me. But there needs to be a little bit of magic and something extra. They can't just go out to the wing all the time. And Robertson's dynamism in this game shows that it's a, it's something that the team needs and, and lacked in certain games, I think. Yeah, and after talking about, you know, how Sparks makes a sort of a big difference coming on, his directness, whatever, I think Conor Ogilvie's decided, ah, I'm not having this anymore. I'm going to try and step up and add some attacking sort of impetus. And the ball's wide near the throwing line when it comes to him. And he sort of heads the ball to himself and picks the ball up, drives with it, smashes one. It's actually a pretty good shot. And that's the second decent shot he's had of this season. He had that one as well. I think it was against Bristol Rovers where he drilled it low as well. And... Maybe Conor Ogilvie's going to become a bit more of a dynamic wing-back. What are you saying, Andy? I don't even know what to say to that. I'd be surprised. I, I'd certainly like to see it. But I think he's one of those players that's kind of grown into the season so far. I probably thought 
didn't have the best game. Uh, it was at Bristol Rovers first time out, I think it was. Didn't have the best game. Potentially looked like a bit of a, a weakish link. But um, yeah, the last couple of games has looked far more settled and more sort of like the, the Conor Ogilvy that we're used to to seeing in a Pompey shirt. And I mean, when he contributes goals, it's normally from somewhere around a set piece. So if he starts knocking him in from from outside the area, I'll be very, very pleased indeed. But I think, yeah, the, the wide players looking dangerous going forward was a bit of a theme here. Because, I mean, you guys, was it last week, you guys spoke in my absence about sort of Zach Swanson versus Joe Rafferty and sort of ability going forward and who's more dangerous. But I thought in the last last couple of games, Rafferty's looked really good going forward as well and has, has actually surprised me a little bit in, in a really positive way with how much of a threat he's carried going forward, both with you know his, his creation of chances in the box, but also running into the box himself and getting in dangerous areas. It's been... Yeah, really good to see compared to what our more traditional thinking is. So, you know, Rafferty is more solid defensively. Swanson is better going forward. He's kind of thrown, um, what is it? Thrown something amongst the pigeons a bit there. Thrown a cat, cat amongst the pigeons? Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think the right back slot, both Rafferty and Swanson, I, I really like either going forward or defensively. I think they're both solid. I still think Ogilvy needs to do a bit better going forward. Personally, I think his crossing can be a bit wayward sometimes, and sometimes his positioning high up the pitch isn't brilliant. But I think to a certain extent, he makes up for it in defensive scenarios against teams. And I think against tougher teams, I still expect him to start over Sparks. I mean, Sparks came on on the wing in this game for Anthony Scully, who, to be honest, I thought he had a patchy game. His crossing was pretty poor. His call, some of his callers didn't get past the first man, which annoyed, which annoyed me slightly. I think he's one of the few signings that hasn't fully got off the mark yet, even though he got the assist against Forrest Green from the corner. To a certain extent, it's understandable because for Wigan, he didn't play a lot. So he's going from not playing a lot at all last season to getting flung straight in again. But you can say the same about Gavin White and he's taken to it a little bit better, I think. Even though, again, in this game, he wasn't as good in this game as he was against Leighton Orient for me personally. And I think... The wide areas struggled a bit before the subs came on. I thought he had an okay game. I saw a couple of people saying that they really didn't think that he played well. And I think that maybe was only because so many of the people around him played particularly well. So, you know, he's got Robertson and Bishop next to him, both having good games. And as we said, even Ogilvy looked pretty good going forward at times in this game. So maybe Scully was a bit, you know, by comparison, looked a bit, as you say, Fred Patchy, but... I thought he got a little bit of unfair grief for me from a few people on social media. But touching on sort of Rafferty again, I thought him and White combined really nicely down the right at times in this game, which is quite encouraging to see the sort of the the uh, right and left-sided defensive players building up that relationship with our right and left-sided attacking wide players. It's uh, been quite encouraging to see so early in the season. And yeah, can only bode well going forward. I think mean, the only frustrating for him from the Fratton end in regards to Scarlett's performances, there are a lot of instances where, quite simply, if it was a left-footed left winger, he probably would have created better chances from his position and he had to switch into his right foot. But no, I, I've seen him play a fair bit and I think he's a talented player, but in this game, he didn't show it for me, personally. I think it's also when we've got players like Kamara who have come off the bench, etc. And you saw in this game as well when he the ball is played through from Bishop to him and he sort of plays it in behind. He gets in that space and he, he straight away, he faces up the defender, a beautiful little nutmeg, and he sort of gets, he gets pulled down to the floor slightly with the arm. I mean, there's a bit of a two point question here. It's like, first of all, 
do you think that having players like that off the bench means that the fans sort of want to have a more direct running winger? So when they see someone like Scully having to turn back onto the foot, etc., you know, they're sort of like, think, well, why don't we start the guy who just faces up and runs at people directly? You know, he won the penalty against Forest Green. He nearly wins this one as well. And and then secondly, do you think it was a penalty? I thought Pereira had a great game when he came on. Um, we'll have to see if Massinho thinks about starting him properly on that left side. You'd have to wonder, can he sustain that throughout the entire game? But no, I thought he did incredibly well. Um, actually, no, he played on the right, didn't he? He came on for Gavin White yeah, and the Sparks came yeah, on the other yeah. side. It's nice that Kamara can play on both sides, actually. But no, he had a good game when he came on and was explosive. Uh, to answer the second part of the question, player. Hugh, it, it definitely wasn't a penalty. No, I, d- I didn't think it was either, actually, thinking about the situation back. Um, it, I thought Kamara was looking for it, personally. Um, I don't think it was enough for him to go down, to be honest. Um, did very well to sell the defender and getting that opportunity, but no, I don't. if the ref gave that, I would have been very surprised. I think the ball was running away from him a little bit. So in that option, he feels the contact and goes down. But there definitely is a hand on his shoulder, but I think it's not enough to, to pull him to the floor. I think if his close control, or if the control of the ball is closer to him and he goes down there while he's still controlling the situation then you've got half a shout. But yeah, I think the fact that whilst it was a yeah, very quick, lovely turn, you love to see a nutmeg. It was yeah, lovely explosive play. The ball was running slightly away from him. And I I don't think you're ever getting a penalty there. And if that's given against us, I think we have a good 20 minute rage about it on the podcast. So yeah, absolutely zero complaints. Kind of, I mean, not dissimilar to the one up the other end at the, the very end of the game. It's just, it's not a penalty for me. But I think the referee was yeah, completely correct not to give either. Talk about the centre-back pairing, because I think that we were discussing who starts, do we start, pull with who, I suppose. And Shaughnessy's come in, and again, he surprised me with his ball playing. It's a lot better than I thought it would be, even though Ed Walker told me it would be better. So, sorry, Ed. And then, at the same time, he looks dominant in the air. I mean, he, he won seven aerial duels in this game. Paul and Bishop were second with, with four. And you look at it and you think, he's dominant in the air. He's solid there. He looks like he compliments Paul very well. And but don't need to bang on about how good Regan Paul is because he does all the little things, Freddie, doesn't he, you want to see from a centre-back. And he's the, that's the sort of defence you need, really, if you're going to try and be a, a top six or push and promotion team. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, when Pompey were at their best, they had an excellent centre-half partnership where both defenders could play the ball out very well. And Shocknessy looked very comfortable on the ball, surprisingly so to a certain extent. And I think Paul's been excellent since he's been, since he's been at centre-half. He has the ability to drive forward if necessary. If, for example, there's no option for him to pass to. Very comfortable, close control. The switch between both centre halves is quick, but also controlled. I don't. I don't feel like the ball's going to get lost a lot of the time. I think there was a turnover in the defensive half at one point, but it, I feel more comfortable with this centre half partnership now. And I think it will take a lot for Taylor or Raggett to get into it, which. I think both of them are reasonable centre-halves, but it just shows how good that pairing has been. And I think in this game, they were solid. Um, and accumulatively, extra had a lot of half chances, I thought, but they, there wasn't like a a big one aside from the Norris key save that came up, I don't think. Let's get on to the bits more in the game then, because let's talk about the goal. The goalkeeper there, unfortunately, for, for Exeter, just plays that ball a little bit square, doesn't he? He sort of kicks it out, 
it's a little bit square. Straight to Marlon Pack, who's in a good position. I think his positioning all game was very good. And he plays a nice header, which is not just a, a clear it header. It's a, it's, a, it's a directed header that gets the sparks. He's come on that left wing point of view against his old club. He picks up an assist here. It's not the cleanest of passes through to Bishop. He probably would have wanted it played a little bit sooner for the run through, but plays it into Bishop's feet. He manages to turn the, turn the defender and absolutely blast it home to what sounded like on Sky Fred, because I was working, an absolute amazing amount of noise in the back of the front end. Yeah, limbs in the front end, thankfully. But no, it was a lovely finish by Bishop. The turn was excellent to get round the centre-half because the centre-half was right on top of it. I liked Sparks, again, being in the right position, driving forward. And that really helped a lot. And you mentioned Pack being able to claim the loose ball. I thought he had a very good game, both defensively and being able to pass the ball out an awful lot. And I thought Pompey deserved that goal. They they looked like they're on the ascendancy at that point. And yeah, the noise is brilliant, superb. Probably the best atmosphere at Fratton for a while, actually. Yeah, and that's great to see. Um, let's move on to a couple of chances because Exeter did come out in the second half more. I thought they reorganised themselves. They looked under the cosh a little bit, Pompey dominating the ball in the first half. And then in the second half, I thought, uh, Rankin was very good in transition. He was quick, quite dangerous for them. Cole looked pretty lively as well on that right-hand side with them as well. And the, the ball sort of like had this situation a few times where Rankin and Cole combined for Exeter. That's where the penalty was, you know, wasn't a penalty, but it did cause a bit of drama there. Cole getting a shot down, you know, Norris having to push it out. And then that sort of helped build a bit of pressure for Exeter and, and then there was a yellow card. Sean, as he takes a, a tactical yellow card um, on the halfway line, which turns into a free kick. And I didn't mind that. Ogilvy did that later on in the game as well, just to help slow it down as well. But ball comes across from a free kick into the box. There's like two flick-ons in, in this situation. And then you literally think with Sweeney, he's got to bury that, hasn't he, Andy? Yeah, it's one of those your heart sinks a little bit when you're watching it moment and you think you're about to concede a late equaliser. Um, I don't think I really gave yeah Norris a, a huge chance there because I think if the, the striker puts it pretty much anywhere, either side of the goalkeeper, it should really, really go in. But yeah, really strong right hand from Norris. Again, I, I'm hoping a few people who uh, given, gave, you know, gave a bit of grief when, we, when Norris came in the same way they did to Macy last season. And then we're potentially shown to be a bit incorrect there. I'm hoping there's maybe some lessons to be learned, you know, see how a player gets on before jumping to your own conclusions. Because thus far, he's been excellent, hasn't he? I mean, that's it's just such a good save. And you can see kind of how much it means again in the reaction, you know, saved it as if, sorry, celebrated as if he just saved a penalty. Because it essentially was a, you know, a match-saving tackle. I think our conversation is slightly different today. If we're talking about a you know a late equaliser and conceding a one-all draw, meaning we're a few places lower in the league, I think the vibe of the conversation is very different. So, yeah, really strong right hand, positioning in the right place. Half came out pretty quickly and just somehow gets something on it to push it past the post. But yeah, it should really have been one-all at that point. But yeah, we take it. Yeah, extra had a lot of joy in that last period, didn't they? I think a lot of that was just down to point players just stamina exhaustion I think because there are a few mistakes coming in in the back as well the players weren't chasing as much it was either a bit of stamina or Messina trying to bring the back a bit 
brought Sean Ragger on. I think Shocklessy stepped up into midfield slightly, but it was still sometimes effectively at the five of the black. It gave Exeter the impetus in this game, which I didn't particularly like. But no, that's what that's what you keep us for. That was a superb save. And Will Amerson also had that chance, I think, from a corner where he headed it where he headed it over from the six yard box. So Exeter had the chances to equalise in this game late on when after the goal, which it's a bit concerning that Pompey scored and sort of not necessarily rested on their laurels a bit, but the momentum shifted. But no, they were they were able to defend it okay, thankfully. I think it's something that came up in the interview after the game. The game management in the last 10 wasn't brilliant. Certainly something that can be worked on. You mentioned there a couple of tactical yellow cards that that we took, but the, the sort of the gamesmanship side of it and the game management wasn't brilliant and it's not quite a direct parallel but you know in the last few minutes of the game you do everything you can to just buy a little bit of time and I'm not saying it is a direct parallel because we can't afford to pick up yellow cards in the same way but if you looked at the end of the the England women's semi-final and I, I can't remember who it was or sort of making sure there were two balls on the pitch at one point to to just slow down any momentum in the 92nd minute and obviously we can't do that because yellow cards don't get cut at the end of this game like they do at the end of the semi-final in the World Cup but it just showed sort of a level of savviness. And I didn't really think that there was that, there was that level of just savvy gamesmanship where you're sort of keeping just about inside the rules, but, you know, slowing things down a lot. And yeah, I think that's something that could be improved. I mean, John Mustin yeah, said in his post-match interview, that's something they're looking at improving. But um, other than that, I mean... I'm not going to complain. It was a really, really good performance from pretty much the entire eleven. I mean, I would, I'd struggle to pick out someone who didn't really have a particularly good game. So very, very few complaints from me. And Exeter is a, one of the tougher games of our August, probably the toughest game of our August maybe before we move into a very tough September. So to get three points from it, I think we're snapping your hand off. Yeah. Just just move on to that for a second. The tough September. Some of those teams aren't playing that well, are they? So... It will be, they're not sort of flying out the gates, the likes of Derby, the likes of Barnsley. You know, we're going to have looked pretty good, to be fair to them. But that's going to be interesting to see if we can sort of take this momentum and hopefully get the win at the weekend and go from there. And maybe being the informed team in this situation, being on the front foot a little bit and, and sort of taking our game to, to those teams rather than being like at the start of the season, we're like, oh shit, we've literally got a really, really hard run there. I don't know if you think that, Fred, but that run's looking a little bit less daunting than it was at the start of the season. To an extent, yeah. I mean, I looked at the the fixture list right at the start and thought, oh God, that's going to be a very hard month and potentially it could have derailed Pompey a fair bit. But no, I think the, 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 the teams you'd expected to be up there haven't got off the mark as fast as you thought they would. Peterborough still seem like a, a solid team, but they haven't blown teams away with their attacking play like they have done in previous seasons. Barnsley look as if they might be losing more players, um, which is which is a big thing as well. They're still a solid side, but there's, there are some, some inconsistencies at least. And Derby looked vulnerable at the back when Pompey played them last time. Derby looked very solid um, defensively. So, yeah. I don't want to read into it too much because it's only two league games into the season, but I am confident that Pompey are building into something uh, and 
compared to last season at any rate, it looks as if there's a style of play improving slowly and the players, the chemistry between between them looks fairly decent. So no, it September looked like a bad month previously, but it looks a bit better now looking at these two games. It's marginal, but we might we might as well go on those marginal hopes this moment in time while things are positive and sort of embrace them, I suppose, a little bit. But anything else to talk about on the extra game before I move us on? Oh, there's only the most important thing about the Exeter game. And since Andy's back on the show, we, we have to do this. We have to play Guess the XG. Guess the XG. He's been missing it all summer as he yeah. sighs, into, sighs into his phone. Exactly. Not even, not even un- well, I wasn't even going to unmute for that, Fred, to be honest. Oh God! Well, the listeners enjoy it, so we'll give them what they want, I suppose. So, guess the XG today. Um, fairly straightforward in terms of the actual event. Can you give me the expected goals for Colby Bishop's goal to cement Pompey's one 0 win? Andy, you get to go first this time because I went first lot on the last week with Jack. So I get all the disadvantage of going first this week and zero of the advantage from Jack going ahead last week. That seems fair. Correct. Cool. Yeah. Um, good to know. Just nice to know where I stand. Um, right. So I'm, I would say I'm out of practice at this, but I wasn't any good in the first place. So the ball into him, when he takes the ball, he's facing the wrong way, stood on the centre of the 18-yard line. And... Just to confirm, Fred, I've asked this before. I'll ask it again. I don't care enough to remember the answer. Um, is the XG from the moment the ball, the shot leaves his boot? Or it the is, first yes. So, so by that point, he has turned the defender. Okay, so he's turned the defender. He's actually done the hard work. I would say... Let's go with... You can cut the silence out a bit, Hugh. That'd be fun for your editing skills. Let's go with 0.42. I'm going to go a little bit lower. Why not? 0.35. Hugh's the closest, um, probably because he undercut Andy, actually, but never mind. I'm the referee in this. I'm not going to... Describe well, people. That was play. my that was my general guess if I was going first. So sure, sure, sure. It's quite <laughs> a long it's quite a long way out, isn't it? The mm. ball's travelling away from him. He's he's had to hit it. So I thought yeah. Well, why scout? What why scout was a bit harsh on this one. I thought he they gave it as zero point two one. And bullshit. No, oh, yes. no I, I said I said harsh, but load of rubbish. Absolute rubbish. You can join Jeff Harris in the in the Twitter arguments later, Andy, if you'd like. Because I don't uh, think again, I've ever had a. I don't think I've ever had a Twitter argument and I don't think I intend to ever have one because it would res- it would need me to actually tweet um, on a regular basis for and that. also, out of all the arguments to have, it would be about XG as well, your favourite topic. It'd yeah, be so ironic well. if that was it. If that was the topic that Andy started his big Twitter beef on, it would be funny if it was about XG. Uh, the, the only big Twitter beef I've ever had was when I got retweeted by Harsha Bogle about a cricket thing and he's got how many million followers from the Indian cricket community and I disagreed with him on something and he quite retweeted it and I just had hundreds of angry Indian cricket fans in my mentions for a bit that's about as close to Twitter beef as I will ever get and as close as I ever plan to get so you know quite happy to just 
let you let you lads chat about guess the xg in public and i'll just slate it once a week on a podcast and then go back to my sad little life i mean does that mean that your india is off your list of places to travel to again andy i mean i know you're a well-traveled man but are you worried if you went to india that you know you oh, might you might get picked off i'd love to go to india for a cricket match what interesting credible atmospheres i'm not even gonna make a joke answer to that but um yeah i'd, I'd absolutely love to go so it's, it's on the bucket list when I can, you know, carry something in my right arm again and walk straight because I've had an ankle thing as well. So when I've actually got four limbs instead of two, I'll be right out there. All right, watch out, India. Let's move on. We put a question out to you guys and thanks to everyone who messaged in. We really appreciate it as always. It makes the show and yeah, appreciated. So Tom Lowry needs surgery and according to Andrew Moon, is likely to be out for three to five months. Do Pompey need to sign a replacement before the window closes for Tom? Or is there another position that needs strengthening? LMB messes in. He says, no, I don't think we do. We've got strength and depth all over the park. So why pay out more money for somebody to sit and watch from the bench? Freddie, do you think from a level of Tom Lowry was effectively, when we started the season, a, a you know, starting player in the three of the midfield? And when that sort of player goes down, you might think, okay, you need to replace someone with, with equal quality. but with Alex Robertson coming in and filling in that hole now, you know, we've still got some other midfielders. Do we, do we need to replace Tom Lowry or would it be better spent some, somewhere else? Yeah, it's a strange one. Uh, I feel sorry for Tom with his injury because you can tell how much of a good player he is, but his time at Pompey's just been ruined by injuries, which is a shame. And it casts doubt on his long-term Pompey career, actually, to be honest with you, because it doesn't matter how good he is. If he's, if he's not fit for an extended period of time, then he'll stay out the side and, be moved on unfortunately but no I don't see Pompey going for another centre midfielder this window purely because they've got Alex Robertson you would assume that he would start they've also been playing Christian Sadie in the midfield which has been proven quite well actually when he's played in a more advanced role with Morel and Pat behind him so there's more options there than we even thought and then he's still got Ben Stevenson in the anchor role if you have to so there's enough there potentially left wing I think um, I know I'm basing it off as two games from Scully but really who would you play on the left wing it's nice that Sparks can play there it's nice that Kamara can play on both so both wings which is nice you've already got Yengi behind Bishop so it seems like left wing is still the odd one out if Scully continues to have some of his problems maybe a left-footed left winger a traditional winger might help out a little bit purely on balance um, that's what I would do if I was manager anyway and but thankfully, I'm not a manager, so we'll see. I know Jack was mentioning about getting a ball-winning midfielder, something that he's been talking about. Do you feel, though, we've got, when we've got some people like Pack with Morel, etc., Stevenson can come in as well and play in that hole. And then we've got the players we talked about. I mean, Sadie does win the ball back as well, to be fair to him, and he plays in midfield as well. He chases down well, wins the ball back. So if we're looking at maybe a left winger, Matt Hope messes in and says, really think a pacey left winger capable of taking players on 1v1 is needed. Do you think that Scully struggled then to take people on 1v1 in this situation or just a bit slow off the mark and need someone else there to come on? Now, probably the latter, to be honest. There still was that situation where he was crossing on his left foot and it's all right, but he he's not as explosive going after the fullback as I think someone like Gavin White is. I think Scully is still always looking to cut in uh, like an inside winger would do. It's natural. 
I'm not sure if it fits this side. I, I was excited about Antti Scully because I do really like him as a player and he's got that little bit of magic which we've talked about previously and Vecino has as well. So it might just be that he's slow off the mark and we're a bit overreacting but I do think a left-footed left-winger off the bench would be brilliant if there was an option out there because you saw Jack Sparks, he wasn't, he, he's not He's not a natural left winger. I think he played a wing back for Exeter, so he's sort of played there. And he did very well purely because he could attack that fullback and put in that nice cross across the box. And for setting up players like Bishop or Robertson when he's moved a bit forward, I think that might be what's needed. But who knows, really? I think that's the only position that's glaring for me at the moment. Sam messages in and says, people can't seem to decide who is better between Scully and White. Where do you feel about them both? I think both have been all right, but would like to see Scully to stop trying to hit crosses and cut inside and shoot sometimes. He didn't have one shot yesterday. Fred thinks it's a tactical thing, maybe. He's been told to get balls into the box, etc. Or maybe he's just lacking that little bit of confidence in the sense of like he's getting up to speed. I remember when we spoke to... Gaz Hutchison from the Stacey West, he was talking about how Anthony Scully is a player that sort of scores in flurries. So you keep him in the game, he scores one here too, the next game he scores, etc. then goes a bit cold. So it might just be a case of playing it out and then we'll see him somehow pop up with some more goals. Are you describing Roland Curtis? We mentioned that, didn't we? <laughs> we did discuss that. Another Irish left winger. But uh, no, I, I, I do rate Scully's talent. But it might just be a thing where it's just the fit that doesn't work. Obviously, you want a lot of crosses into the box. And I think in a lot of Pompey's games, their crossing stats have been very good in terms of accuracy, purely because Bishop does so well in the air and he's your main source of goals. So it'd be natural to set up your striker an awful lot. But yeah, it would be good if Scully had a bit more confidence that could have that little bit of extra step to skin a fullback and put a shot in or put, or put across the bo- cross across the box. And it was clear he was quite off the pace. I mean, if he was on the pace, he would have controlled that pass by Robertson to him very well and perhaps got a shot on goal instead of miscontrolling it straight to the keeper. So we'll see. We'll see. It's only two games in. I'm not going to overanalyze players for two league games, excuse me, three games in total. I'm not going to overanalyze players until much later on um, after we've got a proper sample size behind us. Three league games in, Fred. Four games in total. Yes, three league games, excuse me, because Leighton Orient, Bristol Rovers, yeah, yeah. ignore me. It's been a long day. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, though, maybe it's, uh, we have, have had this game back ages, but when you look at the left winger, who they've got behind them, and we said about Conor Ogilvie starting slow and coming more into games, etc. You look on the other side, Gavin White, he's got, Rafferty or Swanson bombing around him, giving the overlap, causing defenders a few more problems, maybe their positioning, getting forward and stuff. I think he might flourish better if he's got someone, even if, say, Spark starts and he plays higher up the pitch, he ends up sort of drifting into more that role of the person who crosses the ball, which allows Scully to drift inside as he's meant to be. Then maybe we see the best out of Anthony Scully, would you reckon? Yeah, potentially, because we know that even though Ogre is getting better at going forward, he's still not an aggressive wing back like we've seen previously it's not like Sparks or a player like Denver Hume if he played even though Denver Hume's a liability defensively he would need that player to overlap him and provide the extra space so Scully might want to cut inside and do what he's best at which we profiled several times 
hopefully that partnership and chemistry will get together a bit. Fingers crossed. Christopher Mike in and says, what signings have you most impressed with and why? I'll kick us off then, shall I? I'll go Regan Paul. He was one of those players that we needed a new centre-back. We were going on about it all summer. We were drawing up options, thinking about it. He always had lots of options and you know, he was touted to go to the championship, but it's been so long since you've had a centre-back who can carry the ball forward, take it out defence. It helps us in the build-up. He's positionally solid. He's, you know, he's decent in the air for his height as well. For me, as an all-round player, and maybe as one of the linchpins, I suppose, for the squad, I think Regan Paul is one of the players who's impressed me the most so far. What about you, Fred? Uh, I agree with you, actually. I think he's been the best sign that's come in. So comfortable on the ball. Can marshal a back four. He's the centre-half we've needed for quite a long time. And I'm glad we've actually signed him. And it was good that I at least looked at the data and even though it wasn't brilliant, I thought, hang on, that, that might be why. And it's shown that with a side that has a bit more possession of the control games a little bit, that he's, his technical ability has been proven, really. I've also really liked Kamara and Dienge as substitute options because I had doubts about them coming in. I thought it would take them longer to embed themselves so far, but, they, but they've hit off and running quite well. You just have to hope that that continues because we've seen that before with young players going off like a train and then just dropping off by Christmas and then struggle to get back again, which is a bit of a shame. I've liked how White has played in the first three games, in the Exeter game less so, but I do think he's the right winger that we've needed for such a long time and he's shown it. No, but no, a lot of players have impressed me. Norris's distribution as well, there's a little point. His distribution is quite quick and accurate and I've liked it. Um, it Pompey have previously had keepers where the distribution is too slow and obviously the, the play between the centre-halves is also too slow. And that, and that little thing, even though it's not like a big thing such as chances created and so on, that little thing helps an awful lot because if Pompey are going to have that possession and play out from the back to a certain degree, they need those little interchanges to be right. And uh, I think Norris has also very been very impressive. Yeah, he's done well. Apart from making those couple of big saves, he's also doing well with the ball at his feet, which is which is something we need to see. And like, you know, Matt Macy did well as a shot stopper last season, but again, his distribution was quite slow. So it's nice to see the keeper come in and be able to get things going a bit quicker, which makes us a little bit less predictable as well. And being able to kick it out wide to players as well, rather than just the simple short pass constantly to the centre backs, is being is being quite good to watch. John English messaged in and said, "I'd expect the club to look for a player to replace Lowry, but maybe a winger to challenge Scully." I think you're in agreement with a lot of people. I do feel this team is a high ceiling and will get better the more games they play. I think that's that's definitely fair. There's a lot of changes, but Fred, it's a bit of credit to John Massinio here, who's managed to get the team off and running and seem to understand the system they're playing with a lot of new faces. Yeah, because that was the biggest worry, wasn't it, with all those players coming in, that Pompey gets off to a slow start, it would take them ages to gel. And then you had the first game of the season, which was obviously a one or draw, where Pompey had a lot of chances, but then the opposition just had that one big chance and took it, and it was similar to a lot of games that sort of deflated the fans a little bit. But no, and, and then they go and battle Leighton Orient to a certain degree without really doing an awful lot. And then in this solid game against Exeter City, managing to grind out the result properly, but also showing a lot of good stuff in patches. It's positive. And I think Bassinio is very grounded in his post-match interviews, which is nice to see. He's not getting carried away. He's very measured. And I, I, 
he comes across as very clear. So it probably means that the tactical decisions and tactical nuances are quite clear to the players as well. Paul meshes in and he says, not sure. Great shame about Tom Lowry. Definitely is. Poor Tom. I trust John Messino to do what he thinks is the right move. There you go. Someone with a bit of backing. It's nice to see. I know the fans were, you know, people were sort of, I don't know how to put this politely, but some fans needed to see some wins, I suppose, to build some trust in what was going on with the squad, I suppose. So it's just nice to see people having that opinion, I suppose, there. And Rich Hughes, obviously, with the recruitment team, there will also obviously have a big input on what he thinks needs to happen when it comes down to squad rather than just, just Messino, but obviously working together. Steve Meshton, he says, I say we're short one winger. Scully and White, not shown a lot as of yet. Kamara looks strong, but raw. Maybe they're leaving a spot for Curtis's return. Centre midfield, we've got Devlin, Stevenson and Shaughnessy. You can step in as an extra. Would be nice to cover, but it's not priority. I think that White's probably done more than some people are thinking. He hasn't added to his tally a lot. So I think maybe, you know, the goals and assists, people are going to... Some I saw someone on Twitter comparing him to Owen Dale 2.0. But I, I wouldn't think, go that far. I mean, no. I, go, I think also I saw someone comparing to Ryan Williams as well. And, I, and, I, and again, I wouldn't go that far. He, he looks a bit more creative than that. But again, he's come from a situation where he barely played for Cardiff last season. So he's going from pretty much no football to full-on football again. I think it's quite clear that he's comfortable at this level. And it was nice that he's, I think he's got one assist already from memory, as far as I'm aware, or he's got none. Does he get a, a claimed a, an assist for the Omar Beckles own goal? Does that count? <laughs> I don't know, essentially. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to look at the stats quickly. But no, I think in the little situations with his pressing and his his ability to drive into the field, into the penalty area, especially, I've liked it. And he's not cutting back onto his other foot all the time. Or he's not or he's not going from one foot to the other to try and skin the player several times. No, he's more measured, more confident, more direct in his play, which I've really liked. Yeah. And again, he's put some better balls into the box. Can't see Owen Dale whipping in those balls into the box either. He sort of just eventually maybe scuffed it in. So anyway, move on from that player. But Tim Footmesh says overall don't see a massive need to recruit. But with Scully's initial patchy form, it may be a good idea. I'm pleased with the start. Recruits like Robertson look really strong. There's a general good feel vibe. My prediction of second is looking solid at the moment. Quinky face. Tim, I like the positivity. We'll see how the season pans out. Still a bit early in the season. Three games in, in the league. But at the same time, it is looking good. And I think, as as you mentioned there, and we mentioned earlier, Ron Robertson does look like a player in the centre of midfield to, get, to add that different dynamic element going forward, to run at players, to drag them out of shape, which hopefully will also cause more space ahead of him again for those attacking three whether it's Bishop, Yangi, Kamara or whoever it just draws players out from the block and especially teams will, will come on to Cheltenham later but who might come and park the bus you need players who can dribble it past people break lines and draw them out of position Samuel messed in he says maybe alone till January and reassess the situation then that's not a bad shout is it Fred just bring someone in on a on a loan to cover maybe I think it's the right player, sure. I don't see any reason why not. I think I think it would have to be a different option to Scully, I think, because we've seen in this squad having different options really helps. I mean, as an example, you've got Ogilvy and Sparks. They're quite different players. If you if you aren't blessed to have the quality of the Rafty-Swanson pairing, 
you have players that are quite different and offer, and offer something else. It's the same with, with our centre midfielders as well. And the Yengi's a different sort of striker as a bishop and Sadie can, by the looks of things, play in like four different positions if he's continuing to play in centre midfield instead of the wing or the striker role that we've seen in previous. But no, it would have to be the right option to be able to bring someone in. I'd, I, this is based off of nothing, but I just don't think they'll bring anybody in. I think they're settled as is because enough players have come in through the door. But if they feel like they need to add something, they'll probably just add it in January, wouldn't they? It's probably most likely, isn't it? I think it's one of those situations, though, that, again, I don't think a loan move is a bad idea there. Um, Bradley Messerton, he says, we've got depth in nearly every position. White, Lane, Kamara's strongest position is on the right. I'd like to see us sign someone with pace to challenge Scully on the left. Also, an attacking 8-10 to 10 to cover Pack uh, Robertson, sorry, as Pack Stevenson, Morel Devlin suit a double pivot. We've got one player in who can play this this role we've been crying out for for ages. I don't see us getting another player of that sort of ability to come in and cover Robertson. These players are pretty hard to get. And if you get them on loan from a top team, they probably want you to start playing him quite a lot. So I think teams loaning out players will look at us and be like, mm, not really sure that's the best place to send him. It's kind of, you've got Robertson ahead of him. He's got lots of other centre midfielders. You can play in that role. I think it'd be quite difficult to to do that. You'd actually be more likely to sort of sign someone potential maybe from a lower league and, you know, have that sort of player coming in rather than somebody who's going to fill in from loan to cover Robertson, I think. Yeah, I think so too. I don't see another Robertson type player coming up on loan where the parent club wants to loan them to Pompey at this stage because there's so much competition for centre midfield. There's not even... There's, more competition, arguably, for some of our players. Um, and then you add another lone player into the mix. Then that, those minutes are getting taken away from, like a Terry Devlin, for example, who, who's our player who needs to develop. So, no, I think the centre midfield, even though Tom Lowry's gone down, I think it's still a bit crowded. I think there's a lot of options there. So, I think just leave it as is and then wait until January, I think. Lord Stafford said, get TL from Aki Stanley in for TL. I don't think um I don't think he's coming to us. I think that, that bus is gone now. I think you can you think the last bus for getting Tommy Lee in has passed and I think we've moved on and got Robertson, but Edward Walter meshes in and says, not convinced that Scully and White are good attacking options. We need a quality forward to break down defensive teams that come to Fratton Park. We've struggled in the last two games at home. I get what he means because it took it took a while for Pompey to be able to get the clear chance and break them down. And again, it, in patches, a tiny bit of the play was slow. And then when the final ball came in, either it was miscontrolled or the, or the cross was wide or whatever. So I do understand where he's coming from. And it still feels like Pompey, at home at any rate, have to work very hard to be able to get their goals. And that is sort of thing. It wasn't like that in Norwich, where it's quite obvious where the goals just kept flying in from every chance. But we'll have to see if that's a creativity problem or just or a tactical problem in terms of dealing with teams that sit in or not if it's an individual problem where the players aren't good enough to do it for example but I, I doubt that at this point or if it's just a bit of luck and then we'll have more home games where Pompey batter some teams that sit back we'll see I think when we've got the likes of Yenge and Kamara to bring off the bench and add that attacking impetus and that spark and a bit more raw creativity on Kamara's front I think we're sort of covered there. I do agree that on the left, it would be ideal to have another player, but 
I think we've done, we've got most of our Christmas wish list, haven't we, over the summer? And maybe we're being a little bit greedy now, but we'll see what happens. All right. Let's move on. We spoke to Owen from the Robins Report. So, about everything you need to know about the game approaching us now on Saturday as the games come thick and fast. We spoke about Alfie May leaving. We spoke about how they're looking to replace those goals, which they lost. Now he's gone to Charlton. They've got quite a few injuries. We went into that as well. It seems like quite a good time to time to play Cheltenham. And obviously they haven't even scored a goal yet. So there was a lot to talk about and break down how Cheltenham are going to come and play against us, what to expect. But here's Owen from the Robins Report. All right, I'm here with Owen from the Robins Report. And Owen, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Nice one. It's been a difficult start to the season, isn't it? I think just, just to dial it back for Cheltenham here, I think a lot of people saw Alfie May leaving. I think one of the big questions there was, how is he going to be replaced? And from looking at it now, it looks a little bit like it's been quite difficult so far. And are you going to try and sign someone else to replace him? Um, we kind of felt like his replacement was already here in January. We went and did our record signing in Aidan Keener in January for 75k which doesn't sound a lot probably to a Portsmouth fan, but for us was uh, huge. He'd come from the League of Ireland and had a really good half season with Alfie May. And it lo- looked like he was going to be the real deal uh, when he came in alongside him. I think he scored six or seven goals in the back half of last season when we finished really well. But he's not been the same player since Alfie's left. Naturally, that kind of happens. Um, he's kind of struggled being the main man. And we've also signed Rob Street. He was on loan at Shrewsbury last season. He, he played pretty much all their league games. He only scored four goals, but he's looked really exciting too. But we've just been absolutely battered with injuries up front. George Lloyd, one of our youngsters who was on loan at Grimsby last season, has, has done an ankle injury in pre-season, so he's out for a few months. So, yeah, as you say, we're in desperate need of uh, some reinforcements up front and uh, hopefully, hopefully going to come soon. So three games into the season, your goals four column, I mean, just, I would say it doesn't look great, but it doesn't exist as yet. No, it doesn't. Is, is that as a result of chances not being created or is it as a chance as a result of the chances of being created but not finished, which is where you're really noticing maybe that loss of Alfie May? Um, I would say chances not created. Um, the quality behind the strikers is... It's not really there. Again, I, I mentioned the one injury to George Lloyd, but James Olienko, who is our, our creative midfielder, is now out with a dislocated shoulder. Um, and we really are missing somebody in that middle of the park who's going to kind of take take the game to, to the team. Uh, we play with wing-backs, and at the minute our wing-backs aren't our best players on the pitch. They need to be in, in, our, in our position. So, unfortunately, it's not really happening. I, we're quite solid defensively but and our defenders love scoring goals it's just a shame they're in our own necks we scored three own goals already this season and uh, one of our left wing backs pulled it over our keeper's head last night in, in the loss to uh, Reading so we can score one end just the wrong end unfortunately <laughs> Reading have also been struggling to score haven't they so um, I think you did them a big favour there by, yeah, huge by favor. <laughs> converting that I was looking at your, at your last game there against Reading and 53% of your attack, it said, are going to who's scoring down the right-hand side. And you've got, you had two new players effectively there, Oliver Hammond, 20 years old, and Notts Forest, who I always yeah. thought was a centre midfielder, but playing in a, in a sort of advanced high attacking midfield role in a three, it looks like. And then Liam Smith behind him from Dundee. He's captain under 21s of Scotland. He's, he's 26. 
it seems like a bit of an odd combination to have a central midfielder playing that high up the pitch and then sort of going all through him and so, you know, over half of the, the ball. Is that just because you've got so many injuries? You don't have anyone else you can play there and he's got a bit of pace about him? Yeah, I think it's partly because of that. I think Liam Smith has started a right defensively, looks okay, going forward a lot better. He's trying to follow in the footsteps of Ryan Jackson, who had a really good season last season. And we had Matty Blair the season before that. So it was really big footsteps to follow. Um, Hammond is a really interesting one because when he came in, everyone, he kind of said he was a box, box midfielder. Um, and already it's like, the expectation is already on him to be doing a lot of the creating in in the middle, which is a shame. I think a lot of p- people think uh, we had Callum Wright on loan. It, we were his first loan, and obviously he's gone on and since done brilliantly at Plymouth. He's one of the best loan signings Chantham ever had, and we just were screaming out for a player like that. Um, but unfortunately, that, that, that's just far too much weight on his shoulders. It's his first time loan from Premier League club, um, and it's just going to take time. And with Oli Inca now out, Liam Serkham's not really the man. Again, he's box to box. He's not going to be a creative force. Um, so, yeah, it's it's very interesting. It was it was really obvious yesterday with Hammond. He was playing kind of just in behind the the striker up front uh, with Keena. Um, he he was he did struggle a bit. So. It's a case where we've really got to be patient and hope that something's around the corner in terms of a, a loan signing drop-in or something, but it's just where we're at in the food chain, unfortunately. But based on the fact that that wasn't overly successful last night, I mean, again, I guess Reading away is probably on paper. It's not going to be dissimilar to how you'd probably line up for a team like Portsmouth away, I'd imagine. Are you expecting that to be sort of tried again, even though it wasn't overly successful last last time out? I hope not. I hope we'd go with two strikers up top because it really didn't work having those two in behind the one striker up front. But saying that, you know, we were really solid in defence. Curtis Davis had a dreadful game against Bolton, but he was a lot more solid in the back three against Reading, which is a bit more positive. And generally our our style is we go out and we look to be solid from the back and our fans hate it. We're very much a direct team. It's a lot of hoofball and we haven't got the strikers to play kind of hoofball football. There were little passages against Reading, but um, I, I really hope we don't keep going with that, that formation with the two advanced players behind behind the striker because it just doesn't create a lot. And it, unfortunately, we just haven't got the quality at the moment to to, to nail that down. Touch on Curtis Davis there. He's obviously played in the championship. He's got that pedigree. Um, you know, he came from from Derby. I think he, I noted Danny played twenty two times in the league last season, and Derby yeah. were a good team as well. So. There's no doubt in that, but do you think it's going to be a little bit difficult using him as your centre pin when he's sort of 38 years old? Or am I just bandishing that brush around? And actually, no, I don't think I shape? don't think so at all. Last night, prior to last night, he looked looked really shaky. We played Birmingham in the the cup last week, and he just looked slow. He looked like he was getting done easy behind. That was championship opposition, so you can accept it. I, I wasn't at the bottom game, but. He was at fault for at least two, two of the three goals, and the difference in pace is is seen. I mean, in the back three, you can kind of get away with it much because he can be a sweeper. But last night, he was so much better, so much assured. I mean, Reading played with a lot of youngsters. That's fair to be said, but you know they also had pace and dealt with it really well. If we're going to get the best out of Curtis Davis, it's going to be at the start of the season due to his age. So we're hoping that it's taken a little bit of time for him to get settled in. But um, fingers crossed. Hopefully, hopefully, maybe a clean sheet. Who knows? Yeah, then looking forward to to the Pompey game. Then you said that wing backs potentially somewhere fairly exploitable uh, from maybe from a Portsmouth point of view. Would you that's would you say that's the main area where we're likely to enjoy success and potentially somewhere that that John Messina would be targeting? I would think so. 
it very much depends on left wing back position because we've either got our best player on the pitch at left wing back if he's fit or one of our weakest. So Will Ferry is an unbelievable player. He's easily, easily probably our best player at the club when he's fit and he's, he's our main creative outlet. Uh, he's good defensively too. But when Ben Williams is playing, he's just, he's a bit of a confidence player at the minute. And he's not really seeing that confidence shine through from when we first signed him at Barnsley. So probably coming in from the right. But at the same token, a lot of the times it's seeing like opposition and playing through our midfield really easily. I don't know whether that's a fact of we're, we're missing Elliot Bonds, who's got a big injury. So we're going with Ellis Chapman, who was playing in the National League on loan last season. So that's kind of where we're at. But yeah, through the midfield, if if you're a passing team, session based, you'll have you'll have a whale of a time, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, we we've got players like you know Marlon Pack, Joe Morrell, and then Alex Robertson, who's come on on loan from from Man City, who's looking like a bit of a player there as well, a bit of a ball in the midfield. But so for us, I think at the moment now we're we're looking pretty strong in in the centre of the park, and we'll we'll probably try and press you, win the ball back, and um. And just try and control possession, I think, in, in your half, if possible, in this game, I, I would assume. And one player I was looking at as well, obviously you lost Ryan Broom, um, who's a player that always fascinates me, right? He's gone to Fleetwood, which is an odd move anyway, you know, just due to the circumstances. I think it was just before, though, wasn't it? Before they found yeah. out that the only went to prison. He's only 26 years old. I thought he was ancient. He, I mean, he, look at his hairline. I mean, I can't talk, but his hairline says that he's he's a lot older. Um, he looks ten years older, and he's been he's played for what Plymouth, Peterborough, Burton, you yeah. like he's he's gone everywhere, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. He's he's travelled around a bit. He's one of those players who kind of he did really well for us. We signed him from Bristol Rovers. I think he was kind of not too fresh out of their academy. He'd played a couple of pro seasons there, and then. He did really, really well for us. And he's versatile, could play right wing back in, and centre attacking mid. Had one really good season for us in League Two and then kind of jumped up to Peterborough as they, as they normally do, getting those signings from the lower league. But it just didn't work out for him. And then I think he had a really good season at Plymouth. Uh, but unfortunately, he's it was Danny Mayer who was there at Plymouth as well, he was competing with. Uh, and then he came back to us. Was okay on loan last season. wasn't as great on the first time. He's gone to Fleetwood and Danny Mayer's there again. So he's not been, he's been kept out of the team. <laughs> Which is quite funny. Yeah, that's going to be the end of him there. He might as well yeah. just sit up on the bench there, get shouted at by Scott Brown and <laughs> do the bucket collections around the ground. Um, well, approaching Pompey, what have you thought? Have you had any thoughts about seeing any highlights of where we are? Or you, I'm sure you've done your predictions at the start of the season. And, you know, where did you see Pompey ending up at the end of the season? I think I boldly put them in my top two. I just saw. I know that there could be question marks about the, the managerial appointment. I know Mussini is quite early into his career, which is which is fair enough. Uh, and a lot of signings have been made, which, again, takes time to gel. But it looks like it started really well. It looked like a really strong outfit. So, yeah, I think I went with you in second place. Um, and, I mean, so far, you're not doing too bad. Uh, so, I'm quite happy with that prediction so far. <laughs> I think anyone in... Portsmouth would be absolutely ecstatic if that happens. Obviously, I don't even want to think what happened in that case because we're going to get murdered when someone's going to sound clip this later on when we're 15th or something. And Apologies your, in advance. It's your fault, Hugh, <laughs> <laughs> for asking that question. But all right, let's get down to the to the score prediction and the game generally. Saturday, how are you feeling for the game and the score prediction and any goal scorers, please? And hopefully, for your sake, a goal scorer. I... So, how I'm seeing the game going, it's going to be, from a channel perspective, it's obviously going to be very much back to the wall. Try to stay solid, try kind of contain Pompey, because again, you absolutely battered us home and away last season. Um, so, it's just trying to 
stop the onslaught and, and keep it steady. Um, I'm hoping, I mean, last few games I've been trying to predict a nil-nil, but I really would like a goal. So I, I reckon it'll probably be 2-1 Pompey. Um, goal scorers, oh, I really haven't done my research on your squad that well. Um, go on, give me some goal scorers. For you, that's that Colby Bishop in. He's yeah, Colby Bishop is Ronan Curtis still playing well for you at the minute, or is he? Yeah, uh, he's, he's, he's out dividing. He's out injured. He's sort of doesn't have a got contract. One leg. Yeah, <laughs> one leg. Yeah, yeah. He's sort of not. He's without a contract. I think we offered him a a small Tim Pot sort of level contract. Oh, fair enough. Um, after his contract expired and. You know, just to keep him on, I think he was like, no, I could do better than that. But he's still rehabbing, so I think he's going to be back till November. Actually, Joe Morrell and Marlon Pat, they're both ex-Chelton players. They're bound to score. So, those are two goal scorers for Pompey. And then uh, I'll go with Rob Street for Cheltenham because it's bound to come some point. He's got to score. Yeah, I've heard some good, good things about him from the Shrewsbury guys. Yeah, uh, they were really gutted that they didn't re-sign him. I mean, they, they've taken everybody from Cheltenham Town this summer. So, uh, they were... They were um, they're a bit gutted not to re-sign him from the loan. So he's looked really good starting off. They've been trying to rage you, haven't they? Here, <laughs> just a little bit. Everybody. <laughs> I think we've still got the mascot, luckily. <laughs> yeah. All right, mate. Well, um, thanks a lot, Owen, for coming on the podcast. And um, why don't That's you right, tell everyone where they, where they can listen to your show? Um, so, yeah, you can catch us on Spotify and all the usual platforms at Robin's Report. Um, we're also on Twitter. Um, we try and record Wednesdays each week. So we'll we'll normally out on a Thursday and Friday. Same. So if you're listening to this and you fancy hearing some more content, previewing the game, go check out their podcast. Thanks again, buddy. I'll let you go thank and record you yours much. now. Cheers. Yeah, thank you. Cheers. <laughs> Appreciate Cheers, it. Mate. Bye. Take care. Thanks for coming on the podcast. We're all pretty upbeat about the season so far, Freddie, and fair play to Owen, but there's a lot of things at Cheltenham at the moment in time which aren't going particularly well. Injury issues, centre midfielders having to play high up on the right wing. Yeah, new players settling in. Curtis Davis having some good games, some off games. Apparently he was shocking against Bolton, but looked better in the game against Reading, although they're a team that did struggle to score earlier on in the season already as well. I'm not sure what you think, but I kind of fancy some of our quick wingers and quick players running at Robertson as well, running at Curtis Davis at the back. Yeah, purely from just a speed and an age point of view, he's not going to be able to cover a lot of pace. His his positioning will have to be spot on. And that's what you have to hope with older centre-halves, that their positioning is so good where he doesn't need to sprint after a centre-half. I mean, bigger example, look at Bonucci and Cialini. They never need really to sprint after anybody because they're always in the right position. But... Yeah, I think Cheltenham are gettable. I, I predict them for relegation purely because I don't think they've really replaced a lot of their best players who have left. I don't really see the tactical philosophy they have. And they look like, on paper at the very least, a sort of team to try and just go to Fratton Park and nick a draw by filling the penalty area and sitting back an awful lot. And with the changes to the rules to try and clamp down on time-wasting and other things... It might be a case that they run out of steam defensively, but no, I'm confident about this game. I don't see any reason why Pompey shouldn't get three points. No, I know instead they're going to sit back and sort of park the bus in this game. So we'll be putting our creative players to the test here of can we unlock opponents who do that? Obviously, Curtis Davis plays in the back three, so he's going to have a little bit more protection in that sense in the middle of a three, but 
I'm looking at this game, don't really rate the midfield. Ryan Broom's moved. I thought he was bang average, but he was one of the better centre midfielders. I'm I'm feeling pretty confident about this game, Fred. So I'm going to go with a score prediction time. And I'm going to say a 3-0 Pompey win. Why not? Let's be confident about this now. I'm going to say Bishop, Yengi and Robertson. Well, I was going to say 3-0, but I'll be, in general, slightly more pessimistic. I'm going to go for a 2-0 Pompey win. Colby, Bishop, Brace. It might take them a while to get the first goal. But once the first goal goes in, Bishop will get another one and, and seal it. And hopefully we'll have a, a chill game at Fratton Park and then uh, continue the positive results coming in. Massively. It'd be nice to go into near the end of the month with another win. Let's hope so. It's still a work in progress, but so far it's looking pretty promising. So just keep going. Cheltenham there for the taking. Once the first goal happens, I, I expect the floodgates to open a little bit as they try and chase the game. So if we can get an early goal, I know it's cliche in football, but a goal in the first half, for instance, would be would be great because then I think we could bring on our, you know, our sort of like attacking contingent. I don't know if Yangi will start again, but someone like that, Kamara, whoever, to come on and sort of open them up and expect us to win this game. Fred, it's been good having your podcast. Always a pleasure, Hugh. Thank you. And yeah, I'll uh, see you on Saturday at the brewery. It'll be it'll be nice to have the game back together again. Massively. And Andy, who had to drop off halfway through, he's got that sort of situation where on the podcast, I'm doing a John Messino here and I'm sort of managing his minutes with him on sort of like strong painkillers. And, you know, he made it two thirds of the way through. Let's get him off. I didn't bother bringing a substitution on because, you know, we're already in control of the podcast and he'll be back again next week. But until next time, play up Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.